Father, we we believe with certainty this morning that you rose from the grave and that you are coming again. And your word tells us and teaches us about that clearly. And so this morning as we open and look at how you spoke and John recorded, that you would make the dead alive and oh, how you would encourage and strengthen those who are in Christ that are living this morning. That we would see you just a little more. That would cause us to continue running the race well. And 2015 would, would somehow look differently because of beholding your glory, like Paul would say. So speak now, I pray. I beg you, Lord. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. If you would, grab your Bibles and and turn to John chapter 5 with me. So we've been... We've been celebrating Advent, which simply means coming or arrival. And we began weeks ago looking at the fact that the promise was given early on in the Scriptures that that Jesus, God was going to send a Savior to crush the head of the enemy. And we've been looking at those promises all the way through, and we've seen that God did deliver and was faithful to His promise, and He did send Uh, himself in the form of his son Christ. He was born. We've celebrated that December 25th. We celebrate that. Yes, we opened gifts and we put up tree and light and all those things. But it was the greatest gift that was given was Christ, the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us, the Savior of the world. We celebrated that. And then we're going to wrap this Advent uh, message series up by, by saying and believing and looking at the word that Jesus will Come again, because if he does not or is not coming again, then all the promises of the Bible are not true. And and there's no need to 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 be trusting in them, because then we have to start asking, well, what promises are true and what are not? So we are believing by faith and by the authority of God's word that Jesus is coming again. And we're going to look at that from John chapter five. I I said to a gentleman last night um, because and I've been asked this question, so. So um, what are we going to talk about in the second coming? What I'm not going to do this morning, let me start that way. What I'm not going to do is lay out for you what I believe the Bible says about the timeline of events in the second coming of Jesus Christ. Okay, um, what is what is true about all that argue about the, the timeline is that they believe Jesus is coming back. Right. Just where he's coming back. That's not for me to unpack this morning. Okay. Um, The fact that Jesus is coming again, we are going to look at. And what he says about his coming again, we are going to look at. Okay? So in John chapter 5, we're going to begin in verse 26. Let's read some of this. Then we're going to go back and and look at just a few of those verses very closely. So John chapter 5, beginning in verse 20. Let's begin in verse 25. Jesus If you have a red letter, it should be red letter here. Jesus speaking as John recorded. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and and now 
is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not deemed true. Verse 32. There is another one who bears witness about me. And I know that the testimony that he bears is about, about me is true. You sent to John, you sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. Jesus speaking here, he reminds us and tells us, if you aren't reminded and don't know already, that there is a day coming when you and I will draw our last breath, period. Um, and, and that will happen. Uh, if Jesus doesn't return first, that will happen for all of us. There will be a day when someone very likely will stand in this pulpit to preach to people and none of us are here. That's a sobering thought for me. I'm, I'm, I'm young, but I'm, and I'm not old. Hank, I'm at that age where it, I think about those things and it's sobering to me to think that there will be a day when I draw my last breath and the people sitting here or the person preaching here will be preaching to or listening and none of us will be here unless Jesus returns first. And I, I hope that he does. Um, so here, John is telling us about these things. And, and he, he takes a moment to remind us. Um, but he tells us that some are going to be raised when we do draw our last breath. That some are going to be raised from the dead to eternal life and, some, and others to the resurrection of judgment. Why, do, why does he say it this way? Right? Why does it even matter? Well, right, if we're believers, why does it... Why does it matter? Okay, so let's take a moment to remind ourselves what John is looking at here. And then we're going to go, I'm just, I'm pulled out five observations from this and we'll talk about those. But in John chapter 20, John writes, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John, I believe John, all throughout his scriptures, and we heard those same words. That's the reason I read down to verse 35. We hear those same words. John is telling us about how Jesus is going to raise people from the dead because he wants us to believe in Jesus as the son of God so that we would have eternal life. That we serve a God who literally will speak. We're going to hear that in a moment. And nothingness, so things that have no life. I don't mean to be graphic, but decomposing literally has life because he speaks. That's a, that's a pretty awesome God. And so John is going to write about this, this son of God, the son of man, Jesus, the Christ, so that his whole book is going to be written so that, and that's what he said in chapter 20, verse 31, these are written. This book is written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. What he writes is truly designed 
to help unbelievers come to faith in Christ today. So if you are an unbeliever here today, I am, I am not naive enough to believe that everyone in here is a believer in Jesus Christ. Okay? So I'm going to preach and I'm going to herald the good news with the hope and the prayer that unbelievers like John, that, that unbelievers, right, would be come to faith in Jesus Christ. And what I do know about this room is that there are believers in this room. Amen? The saints are gathered. We're here to worship the Lord. This is the Lord's day. All that we have is to Him today. And so another reason that John writes this way is to help believers keep on believing and go deeper in faith, right? And I don't know if you ever think about it this way, but I'm thinking, okay, I've been walking with the Lord now this number of years. Okay, 20 years. And man, I've read the Bible front to back a few times and I've underlined, I'm highlighted, my pages are torn. What, okay, is there any more to learn? And the answer is yes, right? And, and, but there are days when you get discouraged and you're like, if I get, if there's one more phone call, if there's just one more piece of bad news, or if there's just, you know, maybe, maybe when you're older and you all of your hair is gray, I've just got patches right now, the cheeks to my beard and at the back of my neck. But when I'm more gray and I've been walking with the Lord longer, right? How do you keep believing? Cause you, there is a place, maybe not for you, but I'm confessing to myself. I go, yeah, I mean, I know I believe in Jesus. We sing the songs. I'm going to. I believe that, right? I'm 38 and I believe that. What about when I'm 88? If Lord willing, if I get there, Pete, I still going to believe that. But but do I get to a place where I'm just, you know, the boat rocks and you go to sleep because the sun's warm and you're just like, OK, this is comfortable when I go to sleep. And the answer is, no, I don't want to be there. Right. So I, I, we, John is writing to help unbelievers come to faith in Jesus, but also to believers to encourage. Right. Whether you've been with, walking with the Lord for five years, for 40 years, for 50 years, whatever that number may be, five minutes, I don't know. But to help believers, right, keep believing and go deeper. There's more to Jesus than you and I know. You need to know that and you need to hear that. Whether you believe that is true or not, that is true, okay? There is more to Jesus than you and I know. There is a deeper side to him. There's, there's, he's wider, he's deeper, he's further than we can even begin to imagine. And that's why five years passes and ten years passes. And you look back and you go, man, I didn't know that back then. Why? Because he reveals himself from one degree of glory to another. And we're going to look at that text in a minute. So this morning, my prayer for the believers is that God would reveal himself by the preaching of his word, the preaching of his son Christ. He would reveal himself to a way, in, in a way to you to encourage you, to strengthen you, and you go, Man, I have never seen that side of Jesus before. And then we go, okay, we can keep doing this, right? I'm going to start 2015. I can do this. You need to be encouraged, right? You need to hear the gospel to be encouraged. Um, A couple of key passages in the book of John. You can write these down. Um, The key verses for unbelievers in John chapter 1. Verses 14 and 16, John says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We celebrated that. Okay, Christmas, little baby in a manger. That's God laying in the manger, right? The God that's saying to that star, don't move, is laying in a manger. That's pretty unbelievable or unthinkable to me. He says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And from his fullness, we have all received grace Upon grace. 
So John is writing this inspired and guided by the Holy Spirit to show for us in words what he has seen and heard. He has literally physically seen with his eyes and heard with his ears the voice and the body of Jesus Christ. And so under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes, he writes in order to show us what he has seen and what he has heard, which is the glory of the son of God. So that as we see him, right, and we see him how by the word. So you hear the word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by what? The word, right? Faith come by hearing, hearing by the word. So we we receive the word. We see another side, another facet, another corner, another part of who he is. And that's what John is hoping for here. And, And grace comes to us in that moment, right? At one time in your life, there were things going on in your life you absolutely didn't know were wrong. It was okay. It was your rhythm. It was your pattern. It's what you did. It's, it's what you would, what many might say about you is who you are. And then God's word came in a sermon on the radio, in a book. There was a message preached from this pulpit or from the chapel pulpit or someone in a Sunday school class. And you heard something, you saw something for the first time and you go, wow, Joe. And you, you're blown away. And that is God's grace. That is a gracious gift to you and to me because he's, he's transforming us but in one degree of glory to the next. And so he shows himself to us. It awakens us. It deepens us. And the more, the more we see of Christ, I'm going to say that the more deeply we know and treasure him. If you're in art, in case or art Sunday school class, uh, you're going through a book, seeing and savoring, right? Anyone in here in that class, seeing and savoring Jesus Christ. And John Piper writes this way, that Christ is the treasure, and he has spent 34 years as a pastor heralding that fact alone that Christ is the treasure that comes from the Gospel of Matthew. And so I would say that the more deeply we know him and treasure him, right, or the more we see him, the more you see him in the word, the more relevant it seems to you, right? Because there are moments when it doesn't seem relevant, right, Jordan? I, I mean, I would say that there are moments in my life where I've heard messages and you go, that has nothing to do with me. And I'm praying that God would open my ears and open my eyes to see and hear from him. And I'm going to say, Brent, that the more you see him, right, the more you see him in the word, right, Farron, you're talking about being in the word and God speaking to you by the word. And so the more we're in the word, the more we're there, we think on the word, we read the word, not just in thought, but in practice, we go, wow, this is the mirror. This is God's standard. And, and this is what he desires for me. That's the standard of his word. That's the gospel. And we, we, we have confessed. We're like, Lord, I'm, I'm a sinner. You know that, but I'm confessing. I'm in agreement with you and I'm repentant. I don't want to be what I see myself being because I'm holding up the mirror of your word. And so we are transformed from one degree of glory to the next. And so automatically the, the word is relevant. Why? Because it's spoken to our life in that moment. And that's God's gift, gracious gift of grace to you. And at that moment, you treasure Christ more deeply because he was so gracious and so good to you. Go, man, that was so good. And you remember those moments and you remember those days and you remember where you're at, whether it was at RA camp or GA camp or youth camp or some conference or, or women of faith and, you know, promise keepers or something. You heard a word and God showed you something so very clearly and you remember it. Why? Why do you think it is you remember? Because he changed you in that moment and you treasure him more deeply because of that. So let's keep looking here what John's going to write to us. In, or let's look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3. You don't have to turn there. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, and we all, this just speaks to what I've been saying, 
And we all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image. What's that image? That's Jesus Christ. Okay, that's Romans 8, 28 and 29. His desire is to conform you to the image of his son, Jesus. So here Paul says, all and we all with unveiled faces, those who the scales have fallen off their eyes, who are in Christ, were beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So he shows himself to us and we see him and we behold him and we are more like him. And he is doing that from one degree to another. And there's a period, a point in your life where you look at back and go, wow, you've been so good, Lord, because I'm nothing like I used to be. Praise God. Right. I mean, we shouldn't be. If you're the same Christian today as you were uh, last year, something's desperately wrong. OK, uh, because we are being from the heralding. This is why faithful preaching of the word is critical in the life of a church, period. Whether you like tr- preaching preference or not, when the word is not preached, people get anemic because what happens is they're not being transformed from one degree of glory to another. They don't hear the truth of the gospel. And so they're changed by isms and they're changed by worldly ventures. And when that happens, you go right back to where you were. But when the preaching of God's word happens, when the heralding of the gospel is taking place, what happens is we are, we are met, we are touched in a hundred places in our life that help us see and savor the glory of Jesus Christ. You see him in the word for the first time, maybe, and you're Made alive, right? Some of you came to faith in Christ in the church. Some of you, your marriages were a wreck, right? And you heard the gospel and, and you go, wow, we can do this. We are going to stay married. Why? Because Christ is enough, right? And we saw him in a, in a way that changes. You're, you're like Paul says, transform into being, looking more like Jesus. So, so let's get to John 5. Here's five observations I have about this. Um, let's begin in verse 25 again. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. So Jesus tells us here that he is going to raise the dead. Now, when I first read this, I'm going to tell you, I thought that only uh, I thought the only dead people, if you read this, I thought the only dead being spoken of were believers here. Let's read it again. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. But when you, when you keep reading and you look at verses 28 and 29, the, the, the picture changes. So he says in verse, beginning in verse 28, do not marvel at this for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear this voice and come out. Those who have gone have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So who's going to be raised by Jesus? Verse 28, who's going to be raised by Jesus? All, everyone, everyone. And who does that include? Everyone, right? It's not a trick question. I know it's the end of the year and you're all, you all got, you've got... Sugar cookie hangover, whatever that is. I don't know. Okay. But it's not tricky. I'm not going to throw some Greek word out there. It's no all. Okay. Uh, He says in verse 28. 
Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Now, you need to know that this is at the second coming. Okay, there's you're like, well, how are you getting to the second coming? That's it. Jesus is coming again. And here's what he's doing here. Okay. Verse 29. He tells us. Those who are raised to life and those who are raised to judgment. Believers and unbelievers. Everyone. Now, he's, he is actually referring to what was written in Daniel 12. Many of those, this is what Daniel 12 says. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. So Jesus is quoting Daniel. Pretty awesome. And this is what the Apostle Paul said in Acts chapter 24 when he's on trial before Felix. He says, there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. He says that to Felix. That's pretty bold. Now, the main point literally here is that Jesus is going to raise everyone from the dead. Let that sink in for a moment, okay? Just go through the list of names of people that Jesus is going to raise from the dead. There will be millions of Chinese and Nigerians, people from Southeast Asia and Texas and Oklahoma, right? Julius Caesar, Judas Iscariot, the prophet Isaiah, Michelangelo, Johann Sebastian Bach, Adolf Hitler, Marilyn Monroe, Marilyn Manson, Kurt Cobain, Princess Diana, right? Michael Jackson, Ted Kennedy. I tried to find some names that maybe you hadn't thought about in a little while. Everyone, everyone will be raised from the dead. Everyone. Pretty sobering thought when you think and hear the words that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Every dead decomposing body will obey the voice of the Lord. Everyone. All the people I listed and millions upon millions more without exception will be raised from the dead by Jesus. He doesn't let anyone go out of existence. You know, there are those people that believe that you just die and then you're done, right? No, everyone, he says here, will be raised from the dead. And here's the deal. There's no loss for the righteous, right? When a righteous man dies, right, there's no loss He'll be raised from the dead, right? And there's no escaping, right? There's no, there's no such hope for the wicked that I will escape. I, okay, they're, 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 no, the wicked will rise from the dead. Everyone will obey the voice of Jesus. The second point, observation point, however you want to say that. Jesus raises all the dead by his voice. It's, it's a, we have the word <laughs> and he's going to raise the dead by his word. I, I, my mind can't get there. OK, but that's what he says. The second part of verse 25, the dead will hear the voice of the son of God and those who hear will live. Paul speaks of this cry. He refers to it as a cry of command in first Thessalonians chapter four. And he says it this way. The Lord himself will des- descend from heaven 
with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. It says that Jesus will, in fact, raise the dead by his voice. Hebrews chapter 1 says it this way. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus upholds the universe. I don't know if you've been outside lately, but there are lots and lots and lots of stars in the sky. Sun and moon and all everything that you can experience this morning. Right. So the chair that you're sitting in right now. Yes, I know that a manufacturer somewhere did a good job that day and it's got a quality control sticker on it, Craig. And it's someone did a great job and it's holding you up. But he upholds the universe by his word. So, Hank, the chair that you sit in is literally being held together by his word. I believe that. That nothing that you can see, smell, taste, or imagine is not held. All things, Colossians says. Colossians 1. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. When he speaks in his office as creator... Nothing, the nothingness obeys. Think about that, right? In the beginning, there was nothing. And God spoke. And there was. We we can't imagine that. Maybe you can. I want to have coffee with you because I, I it's hard for me to imagine. I need people to talk to me that way. Because I get excited when people talk to me that way. And he says that in his office as creator, the nothingness literally obeys him. When he speaks in his office as the one who raises the dead. I know this is graphic, but we have to get here. Decomposed matter obeys. That's what happened in the beginning, right? He created Adam from what? The dust of the ground. And there will be a day when the decomposed matter of the graves, he will speak and it, you'll rise. <laughs> Miles, you will rise. Paul would say, we have seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the father. And I think Paul would say, bow your heart and worship the Christ. Not the baby, but the king is coming again. There was a baby that was sent, but Jesus, the king is coming again. Sword from his mouth, robe dipped in blood. Jesus, the king is coming again. And the decomposed matter of the ground will obey him and the dead will rise by his voice. The nothing will obey him. That's a, that's an awesome thought. The third point, verse 25 again. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. So what does he mean there? The hour is coming, but it's already here. What does he mean? And what does that mean for us? The hour is coming, that's future, but it's already here. What does that mean? Well, Jesus showed in his ministry on earth the sort of thing that would characterize the age to come. So Jesus, as he walks and talks, he casts out demons, right? For some, not everyone, but for some on earth, he cast out some demons. He didn't heal everyone when he was at Peter's mother-in-law's house. Mother-in-law's house, I think that was Peter. There were all sorts of people. He didn't get to everyone. He removes himself. But there were some demons that were cast out. 
He healed some sick people on earth. Now, why did he do that? Why did he cast out demons on earth for some and others? I think it's as as a way to show the age is now. This is what it's going to be like in eternity. There are no demons in eternity. He healed some people, right? Jairus' daughter. She's died and Jesus says, no, 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 no. She's sleeping. And he goes to Jairus' daughter and he says, little girl, get up. She got up. She was asleep. Why didn't he heal everyone's daughter? I believe because the hour is coming and is now. And Jesus is healing some sick people on earth earth, so that he can show and so that we know that there is no sickness in the age to come. None. So people are healed here, right, Tina? But not everyone is healed of cancer. Some people are. Does that mean some people are better than others? No. That's Jesus. That is God who is in absolute control. There's a young man. You, you may know the story. You read it in the paper. I don't want to go. It's not my note, so I don't want to go too far down that road. A young man from Lingleville um, that drew his last breath recently. 16 years old. I know him. Baptized him. I know his family. Um, the doctors don't know what happened. I was speaking with Pete this morning. They don't know. There's no explanation. And I told him right there in that aisle, there is an explanation. It tells me that God is in control. That's, I, that, doesn't, that doesn't soothe a mom who has just put a baby in the ground. But that's what I believe. And that's what I believe. And that's why I keep saying that and I keep preaching that. Because if the day comes that I have to do that, I need to believe that. Otherwise, I go nutso, right? I go crazy. But that God is in control. That he holds the keys to life and he holds the keys to death. And on this side of eternity, he heals some people who are sick to say in heaven, in eternity. Let's say it that way. In eternity, there is no sickness. And this is a glimpse of it. And oh, oh, the news when you got when you got that news, the joy, right? Eternity. You, you can't measure the joy that you experience in eternity. Now, I'm saying that by faith because I've never been there, right? But I have to believe that he's better. I have to believe that he's better than anything you can imagine or anything that you can think of or anything you you can experience, any kind of emotion that you can experience. He has to be better or we are doing this for nothing. (laughs) He alone is enough. And so if you've been healed, that feeling, that should send your heart's affection and your mind's attention upward to Christ to go Oh, man, that's good. But he is so much better. And he is giving me a glimpse of what it's going to be like in eternity where there is no sickness, right? No sickness, no demons. He raises people. He raised three people from the dead because in eternity there will be no death in the age to come. He could have he could have raised everyone from the dead, right? But he didn't. He raised three people from the dead because in eternity there is no death. There are no tombs. No need for a grave digger, no tombstone inscriber, right? No, no funeral homes in eternity. Those guys are out of work, okay? Eternity, there are none. He's given us a foretaste in the gospel of John, since we're in the book of John. Um, in chapter 11, you know the story well. Uh, Lazarus, a friend of Jesus, has been dead for four days. Why four days? I think so they can't say, well, he was just... Yeah, he was just passed out, right? He got hit on the head pretty hard. And he was out for a few hours and Jesus came by and, you know, said a few things and 
Woke him up, slapped him around. He got up. No, he was dead for four days, okay? Um, Jesus goes to see his grieving friends, Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sisters, and he says to Martha in John 11, he says, your brother will rise again. And listen to how Martha responds. She says, Martha says to him in verse 24 of chapter 11, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Martha knows this, like there's coming a day. Daniel 12, right? She knows that there's coming a day and some will rise to eternal life and some to judgment. And my brother Lazarus is a righteous man. He's going to be risen to eternal life. She agrees that this hour is coming with what Jesus has said, but she doesn't understand it all, right? She doesn't get it all, right? I mean, we don't get it all. I don't get it all. You don't get it all. We can't armchair quarterback this thing and say, Martha, didn't you know Jesus was there? No, I don't think so. She doesn't understand what Jesus meant when he said in John 5, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will rise. So Jesus says to her in verses 25 and 26 of chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. The hour of the resurrection is here, he's saying to her, because I'm here. And I'm the resurrection and I'm the life. I've come to the world in advance of the last day before the final judgment. Right. We know that he came. He was born in a manger. Mary rode on the donkey. Right. We know the scene. She gave birth to him in a manger. The angels were singing and the shepherds were watching their sheep and all was going on there. He came. Right. He came into the world in advance of the last day before the final judgment. We'll see why in just a few moments. So Jesus goes to the tomb, verses 43 and 44, and he tells them to move the stone. I, I love that. I love that because he didn't have to say a word. He could have just, just been walking, right? And the tomb is, opens up. He didn't say a word. Or he could have just not said a word. But he says, tells them to move the stone. And then he says, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. You and I will raise from the grave just as surely as Lazarus did. He will say, just like he did with Lazarus, I don't know. I don't know. He's not, I don't know if it's individually named. I don't know. I know what the word says, but there's some things that are not written for us. Okay. But he's going to say, Josh, come out. I'm going to get up. I'm going to get up, Kenneth. I'm gonna, I hope he comes back before then. But, but, but maybe I want to just get up, right? Maybe, uh, he's going to cry out with a loud voice like we see in John 5. And the dead are going to be raised. He was showing himself just a little more, right? One degree of glory to another. Showing himself to Mary and Martha and all that would be there. That he's not just a prophet. He's not just a good teacher. He is literally the son of God. He is God in the flesh. He is God with us, Isaiah said, right? Emmanuel, God with us. He is showing himself one little degree of glory to another. And he says to that dead man, Lazarus, you come out of that grave because I hold the keys. And there is a day, you know, you've read it in Daniel 12 and in other places that everyone will raise, everyone will raise some to eternal life and some to judgment. 
But I alone am going to raise people from the dead. And right now I'm here. I'm the resurrection and life. And so you come out of that grave. Can you imagine what it had been like to be Mary or Martha? He commands. And the command creates what it commands. There's no life. And he commands life. And there's life. Pretty awesome. The fourth point. Um. It's critical for us to know, to see um, that this is the son of this is the son of God, but also the son of man. Right. And, and this is, I believe, why the Bible would tell us he had to come in the form of man because of what we're going to look at here. Look at verse 27. He's got to be qualified to exercise judgment. If we can say it that way, verse 27, and he has given him authority God has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Now, in Daniel chapter seven, this son of man term is a very divine. Holy term, and I I do believe that applies, but I also believe it means that what we might immediately think of that he's literally the son of man. He was born of a virgin. There was a, a real mama that really held him in her arms, that really nursed him, that there was a daddy that really helped to raise him, a carpenter son, a carpenter that taught him the trade of woodworking. And he he ran and he played. He rode his scooter. And, you know, if he, I don't know if he had scooter. I don't know what he did. But he was a little boy that played like your little boys play, Zane, like you play. He played, but he never sinned. Right. So, Rowan, he Jesus was a young man like you, except he was sinless. He was like us. Except he was perfect. He was God. Paul said to the people at Mars Hill in Acts chapter 17, God has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. That man that Paul is preaching about on Mars Hill is Jesus Christ who raised who was raised from the dead. So the judge of the world, and this is what Paul is preaching here, the judge of the world in in God's reckoning, if you will, in his design must be the son of a man, a human. In Revelation chapter five, in in the sermon I preached here when I was a candidate came from here. An angel cries out and it says, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seal? Now, this stands for, excuse me. For the opening of the end of history, the unleashing of the world of God's final judgments. And the answer to the question comes back. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the thrones and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals for you were slain. So God's intention is that the, this, this, this one that judges that he's talking about here in John 5, this one that judges, right, will be slain like a lamb, a crucified man. God doesn't die in his godness. Can I say it that way? God is God. He doesn't die. He's forever and always been and always will be. Do, do you get that? And so he has to die. He has to take on himself the punishment 
the condemnation of the world. He has to be a recipient of God's wrath. This cup that God is pouring out on him is his wrath. He prays in the garden. If there be any way that this cup would pass from me, what cup? The cup of God's wrath being poured out on him. God doesn't die. And so someone has to die. Someone has to be slain. A lamb has to be slain. That's what John is writing about in Revelation 5. The lion of Judah. Okay, the lion of Judah has to be the lamb of God. Before he's the lion. Why must he be a man? I I think it's fitting, honestly, um, that God would say that humans, you and I, must be judged by one who knows what it's like to be human. Jesus knows what it's like to be human. He lived. He experienced life. He was a carpenter. He smashed his finger and didn't sin. Right? He ate and didn't sin. He drank and didn't sin. He, he was at parties and didn't sin. He was cursed and didn't sin. He was betrayed and didn't sin. Right? He was, there were all sorts of things he was tempted with and yet he did not sin. And so this man that's coming to judge, Jesus the Christ, the King that will come again, whose the sword will be from his mouth and his robe will be dipped in blood. Yes, will be King But he's able to look and say, I too was tempted and I too suffered, right? Some suffer this side of eternity, right? I mean, you, we know suffering, but the gospel would say that, that we are called, we're going to suffer because we live in a broken world, Genesis 3. And so we experience death and pain and sickness and sorrow and divorce and the flu and all those other tsunamis, all sorts of brokenness. Why? Because of sin in Genesis 3. And so when he comes and he, we look into his eye, when he calls, right, he says, he says, Josh, come forth. And I look into his eyes. I can't say, but you, but I, it was hard for me. No, I'm going to be looking into the eyes of a savior that says, um, I too was tempted and I too suffered. You, you may not admit it, but if it was God that had never been man stood before you, how easy it would be to say, yeah, but you don't know, right? I mean, you're God. You've always been up there, like doing your thing. And you don't know what it's like when my husband or my wife or my kids or the puppy, right? You ever had a puppy? I forgot what it's like to have a puppy. Right? Tempted to sin. (laughs) But I won't. So I'm not going to look into the eyes of a God, the God, that says, I don't care. I'm God and you should have been this way. No, I'm going to look into the suffering servant, the Lamb of God, the Lion of Judah, the Son of David, the Son of, right? The Son of Man who says, I was tempted. And I suffered. The fifth and final one. um, Eternal life and eternal judgment will be in accordance with our deeds. Verse 28 and 29. All who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good. 
to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Now, um, Edward is on vacation. And so if you're thinking, wait a minute, does he know Josh is preaching about works? I'm not preaching about works here. Okay, so bear with me and don't tune me out. Okay, it's not lunchtime yet. It does not mean that we are justified by our good works. We're not made right by our good works or that God is on your side because of your good works, right? We've all in this room done a good work or two. My guess is you probably got somebody a Christmas card or a Christmas gift, right? You took them some candy, made them some hot sauce or something, right? I mowed that guy's yard. Surely God is pleased with me. That is not what Jesus is saying here. It's not. It means the reverse. If you are justified by faith, okay? So by faith, you have trusted in Jesus Christ. If you're justified, made right by faith, then you will produce fruit. You will produce good works. Something good will come. Jesus teaches that again in Luke 6. He says, no bad tree bears bad fruit. No good tree, good trees bear good fruit. Out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. You, you, don't, you, don't do, you may be able to do a good moral deed here or there, right? But they're not eating or drinking unto Christ, right? Paul says that. So whether you eat or you drink, whatever it is you do, do unto the glory of who? God. So how do you do that? Well, if you're in Christ, if you're born again, if you're regenerate, if you've been justified by faith, you can do those things as unto the Lord. So maybe you make hot sauce or mow someone's yard or take them a card or sing them, do those good things. And those are as unto the Lord because you are unto the Lord. Your life is unto the Lord. But your good works do not get you right there. That's what he's saying. So I'm not going to do good things hoping that at the end of my life, God is pleased with me. Now, you may be thinking, that's crazy. How would anybody think that? Listen, when I was at First Baptist Church, Justin, uh, I did a lot of funerals in my first year, first two years there, a lot of funerals. There was one a month and sometimes two. And we were, the, we were a suburb of Fort Worth. And so if someone that doesn't have a church home passes, they go to First Baptist Church, you do a funeral there. I did a lot of funerals for people I didn't know. And I sat with families that said, man, they were just so good. They, they did good their whole life. Like they mowed their neighbor's yard their whole life. I, I've heard that. So maybe none of you think that way, but I have heard that with my own ears. And hear me, please hear me if that is you. That is not justification. That's not being right. That's not salvation. That's not in Christ. What he's saying here is abs- absolutely the opposite. What he's saying is, if you're justified by faith, you first are by faith, believe that you have sinned. You've offended God. Nothing about you is good. You're confessing that because the Bible clearly tells us that. God's word tells us that. So I'm confessing that. I'm in agreement with that. And I don't want that. I need to be rescued. I need to be saved. I need a savior. I need him to come to the bottom of the ocean. I am dead and lifeless at the bottom of the ocean. I'm not just drowning. I am lifeless at the bottom of the ocean. I need him to come to the bottom of the ocean and bring me all the way to the top and breathe life into me. You've repented. 
if you are justified by faith, that's what I mean. If you can say that, man, why, why are you going to spend eternity with him? If anything is your answer other than that, I've been rescued by Christ and Christ crucified. I'm unworthy and he alone is worthy. You can say that a few different ways. But if you have any other answer, any other answer, that's not salvation. It's not salvation. And I, my plea with you, right? This is John writing to the unbeliever so that you would see. You'd say, I just have to trust Christ. I believe his word. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it means to be justified. Made right. You were wrong. In eternity, you're wrong. You've offended God. That was my last message. Ephesians. And he says, I stepped down out of eternity. I became a man. I suffered and died. I bore the consequences of your sin. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. I am the door by which everyone comes. And by my voice, everyone will be raised from the dead. Everyone. The spectrum of people that are in your mind. And the ones that are going to eternity are the ones that are justified by faith. And if you're on this side of eternity, you are. if you're justified by faith, he is saying that there should be fruit. There should be good works. Right? The verification, the confirmation, however you want to say that, that God is on your side is that you were justified by faith alone, by grace alone. And you were united to Christ before you did anything good. Anything else is not the gospel. And that's glorious news for sinners. Amen. In John 15, it's a famous text about the vine and the branches. John is recording there and he says in verse 5, Jesus speaking, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That means you can't bear fruit apart from Jesus. That's what he's saying in John 15, 5. Apart from the vine, there are no good works. You can't get into the vine by doing good works. Okay, so I'm going to be a good grape today so I can be a part of the vine. That's not what he's saying. You can only be united to the vine through trusting the vine. I'm trusting the vine, so I'm, I'm united to the vine. There's a fruit. You see how that works? Some agricultural kind of pictures there. You rest in the vine. You, you receive from the vine. You're satisfied in the vine and everything that the vine supplies. That's what it means to be justified by faith alone, by grace alone. So if you are hearing that for the first time, that is how, why we began. The purposes of John's writing were so that the unbelievers would see. And if you are here and you are a believer prayerfully through John's writing, you are hearing that there are no good deeds in Christ gone undone, no righteous works gone undone, and the wicked will receive uh, punishment, and you are not just going in the ground to decompose, but Christ Himself will come and speak, and you will be raised from the dead, and you will spend eternity with Him. Right? So, and by that same voice that called Lazarus from the grave, and that will call everyone from the grave, by that same voice, by that same word, everything, believer, everything is held together. Everything. Everything in your life is held together by his word. Everything, good and bad. Everything, right? Everything. The bad is harder to swallow than the good.
But everything is held together by his word. I I know some of you are saying, please stop saying everything. But I'm telling you, there are days that are bad and I don't want to believe that it's held together by God's word or by Jesus' word. Everything is held together by his word, believer. And you need to be strengthened and encouraged today. Everything is held together by his word. And that same word is it called Lazarus from the grave. It's going to call you if he didn't come first from the grave. And we'll spend forever, forever worthy is the lamb who was slain. Let's pray. Father, as as your words, as recorded by John, settle on us, and and we they've they've landed on the ground. Oh, how I don't want us to leave, and they'd be easily scorched up by the sun. I know it's not hot outside, but that's not what he's talking about there. I don't want the birds to pick away the seeds. I want them to go deep into the the plowed rows and to be covered with fertile soil and to maybe be watered today because seeds were planted last week or last month or last year and today they're being watered. And today some of those seedlings are poking through the ground and for some there may be fruit today. We're all going to be raised from the dead someday. Our bodies are going to obey the voice of the Son of God. We will obey this side of eternity or the other. We're going to face you, Lord. We're going to face the one that was tempted like we were and yet was without sin. And I believe he's going to look, he's going to look at the faces of the saints. So saints hear this. He's going to look at your faces Not for perfection. Nowhere in the glorious gospel does it preach about perfection. But he's going to look to our faces not for perfection. But for evidence that we were abiding in the vine. Just for evidence that we were abiding, trusting, resting, satisfied, treasuring the vine. The Son of God. So I pray today that the saints would receive and drink and trust and rest and abide in Christ. Be satisfied in him and bear the fruit of love. And for those who are not in Christ, I pray, Lord, that the gospel was heard. And before they can ever do anything good, you came after us and you died in our place and we have yet only but to receive so I pray that they would receive the gift today that you offered of salvation Father thank you for that that baby that was born in a manger that son that came that Emmanuel God with us but as Tyler spoke about before we or as we were beginning this service, that 
I'm so grateful that your word says that king is coming again, not as a baby, but as one whose voice commands the universe and everything obeys him. Everything obeys him. And I long and I look for that day and I will talk about and preach about that day with my last breath. And so may we trust in that, Lord. We give thanks for that. We worship you because of that, because you are faithful. And you're coming again for your bride, the church. We pray these things in that name, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.